Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Until we understood the root was attachment and we started working at the root, uh, and I took ownership of that avoider part of me, and he took ownership of the pleaser, and we begin to individually work on our sanctification in that way. But iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So we talked to each other about our fears, how we scared each other. Mylan and Kay Yurkovich describing how you can discover your love style. And they're with us today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Okay, the first thing, it makes you chuckle to think about what's your love style. <laughs> I mean, remember, for those of us old enough, you think of the love boat or something like that. <laughs> but your love style is really important. And, you know, just like so many personality traits that we possess, each of us have a love style. Um, we talked to Gary Chapman about uh, your love language. And today we want to talk about those things that are both positive and not so positive that tear your relationship apart. And this is a really encouraging discussion I think we have ahead of us. Uh, so if you're in what's feeling like kind of a ho-hum marriage, I think you'll get some good tools to really take it a little deeper and, and to have greater intimacy. Uh, the Yurkoviches have written extensively about this concept of love style, and uh, the book that we'll be uh, talking about today most specifically is How We Love, Discover Your Love Style, and Enhance Your Marriage. And Mylon and Kay, welcome back to Focus oh, on the Family. thank you so much. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Hey, let's start right there. You know, at first, uh, I wanted to ask that question for that uh, fairly newly married couple, but I think it applies to all of us. I mean, Gene and I have been married almost 30 years, and this kind of information is still very relevant and helpful to us. And I'm assuming even a couple married 50 years will benefit. But when you're looking at uh, the years that have gone by, it would have been so great to have this kind of discussion or to know about this information 20 years ago, you know, the first three, four, oh, yes. 10 years of our marriage. So let's talk about those styles that you've discovered and how we love. Uh, talk about the five that you uh, express to couples to help them communicate better. First, the secure attachment style is a person that has a decent sense of self, that they're worthy of someone doing something for them, and they can go and ask for help they tend to see relationships as a place that they want to get relief. There's so many people in this world that don't go to relationship for relief. They go to substances, addictions, to make those uncomfortable feelings go away. And if we look at the person of Christ, he could give to people he could receive. He could say what he needed. He could ask for help. He was the secure attachment. He's our model as to what secure attachment looks like. And I think we uh, don't really appreciate that only a few of us would have an experience at our homes that would cause us to look like that as as adolescents and adults, well, to in have fact, that freedom. In, in your book, you talk about how our childhood really does form these attitudes yes. and, and behaviors in us. And, and we see that. I mean, that's one of the things uh, that we see here at Focus on the Family so often. How do we uh, begin to arrest and understand that? Well, I think the first thing we have to learn is that early experience, Kay, is what really sets us up for our future expectations. And we either had that secure attachment or we had one that wasn't quite as secure. I don't think people really understand how important those formative years really are. 
uh, we take everything in in those first two years of our life in a nonverbal way. Mm -hmm. We don't have words yet. So we're taking in facial expressions and voice tones and they're building implicit memories, which are something that we remember in a feeling state in our body. They're sort of wordless memories. We actually remember them for our entire lives, uh, but they, they're remembered in a, a state of feelings in response to other people. And so in the first two years of life, those are the implicit memories that they, they're with us for the rest of our lives. And I was talking to a young man uh, this week, and he just had a new baby. And he couldn't tolerate her crying. I mean, he literally went through the roof. And we, we begin to talk, and he says, I don't understand my response. Well, as we begin to look at his own history, when he was two, he had a baby brother born that never stopped crying for two years. He was so difficult. And I said, can you imagine the feeling that you're having in your body is almost like something you would feel as a two-year-old when you just wanted to hold your ears and scream? And he started weeping. Mm. And he said, I never thought of that. But he said, my mom told me that I used to go hide in the closet. So these are the power of these early memories. And we, we don't always know how they impact us later in life. So the secure connector is where we're going to head. But these broken love styles... Um, come out of things that we often don't even remember. And so they're so normal to us that we don't even know we're doing it. Um, Kay, uh, let me press you a little bit. Sure. Um, because folks that are listening are thinking, eh, psychology and right. scripture and, you know, does that really count? I mean, I'm a two-year-old at that point. The Lord can work all that out. Talk about that blend from the outset here because so often, you know, we in the Christian community – can be critical of science, Absolutely. but really uh, what the Christian belief system does is prove what scientists are discovering. I mean, we have an yes. understanding as Christians about what scientists are looking at because we believe in the creator. We believe there's order in the universe and those kinds of things. But talk about that junction for the skeptic right now that's hearing us going, this is psychobabble. Well, we, we may not like science until we need a heart bypass. And then, right. we'll, you know, yeah. and then we go, uh, sign me up because it really hurts right now. But really all this is is observing how the mind should be developed. We don't think of parents as uh, brain shapers, but they're truly shaping the brain of the child. And the early experiences, God invented this. This is about God's invention of attachment. The human being has the longest attachment period of all the mammals on the planet. And God created this extensive period of time where a child would be looked at with this lit up mom and the child would respond back. And so there's this strong sense of togetherness that is built very early on, not just in our left brain, which is our cognitive reasoning, but in the right brain of feeling states. It feels comfortable to be next to you or it feels uncomfortable to be yeah. next to you. So really all science has done is they've observed God's creation of attachment. Right. And they have made studies to say what has gone really well, and when it doesn't go so well, what are the ramifications in a person's mind? And then that leads us to many things, of course, uh, in the whole department of sin and brokenness. But one of the things that leads us to are these broken or wounded attachment styles. Now, we've talked about that, that secure attachment. Let's talk about the others that are coming out of the pain. In fact, vacillator is another one. Talk about vacillator. Sure. Well, a vacillator is a person who came from a home where perhaps they had intermittent connection with their parents. 
intermittent connection, meaning I see you, I give you attention, and then all of a sudden I've pulled away from you and I've gone dark. I've gone dark because I'm inattentive, I'm preoccupied myself as a parent, uh, I am busy, uh, I am have my own issues of where I cannot see you because I'm preoccupied with something else. So the child never knows, or I, I have an addiction, or I'm fighting with the spouse, and so I, I then the child feels alone. Then the parent re-engages with them at a time unpredictable to the child, and the child feels this ambivalence from the parent, an ambivalence of, I don't know when I'm going to be connected with, but they tend to value connection at a very high value, and that becomes their primary desire is to have intense connection that never goes away. So when they grow up and enter into relationship, they enter into relationship with a very high expectation and hope of a connection that will never feel as though it's going away or will stop or will cease or will be intermittent. And so they have an intense desire for perpetual connection when their spouse averts their gaze, turns their back, is busy. They get very agitated on the inside. Then they get angry at the spouse for somehow abandoning them. Now, they don't use the word abandon. They just say, I don't like how I'm feeling right now, and you made me feel that way. And so they get angry. They're the protesters that say, why did you do that? Why did you make me feel this way? So they are the love, hate, hot, cold, in, out, on, off spouses, bright, dark, uh, in a moments change kind of like the weather here in Colorado Springs <laughs> you know maybe maybe on a on a sunny day in the summer where it's a beautiful day then all of a sudden the clouds come over and it's dark okay so that's the vacillator Kay, yep. you write in the book your own personal mm-hmm. story of being the avoider yes so as an expert in that category I'm an expert in the avoider uh, what is avoider well i lived for 15 years with this love style not really realizing that um my family didn't really bond on any emotional level when I was growing up. My parents loved me. Um, we had nice dinners at my house, but we never had any personal conversations. And if I had a feeling, if I was sad, my dad said, you better stop crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. <laughs> Famous line. Famous line. <laughs> or go to your room until you have your happy face. And my mom just got highly anxious. So there was this underlying message of, Feelings are something we don't do. Feelings are something that we dismiss. Feelings are something we don't move into. We are always trying to fix them and move away from them. And so I got very good at, first of all, just not showing my feelings and over time, not even really knowing what they were. So if you ask an avoider how they are, they really only have one answer. Fine. Yeah. Uh, And I can't say that wasn't true. I sort of existed in this like very midline kind of a... Uh, level where I was never very happy and I was never very sad. So steady. Steady. And a lot of people marry avoiders because we're very predictable and we're very steady. And what people don't realize until usually they marry us is that we don't really have any range of emotion. We really can't connect on any emotional level. I don't have memories of comfort from my childhood where a parent really noticed I was not doing well and, and sought out to kind of understand what's deep in my heart. And so I couldn't describe what was deep in my heart. I had no words uh, for internal experiences. And it was just a place that I never developed. And I I didn't realize until the 15-year mark that when you wanted closeness, Mylon, I really didn't know what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
this was just a foreign concept to me. And a lot of people think their avoider spouses are holding out on them. You know what I want. You just won't give it to me. And honestly, avoiders don't even know what they feel. They don't know how to comfort you. Uh, they don't know how to have empathy. Um, I mean, what was it like being married to me? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that yeah, question. Yeah, I was going to say, I won't lie. I'll be brave and ask that. Yeah. Well, it was hard to feel like I could capture you or that I could pull you into a place that I could feel as though there was something substantive and meaningful. I appreciate the point Kay made because a lot of times we, a person who's married to an avoider would believe that they are just holding out. But truly, Kay did not have the words to be able to describe how she felt. She's no longer an avoider, by the way, and I am happy to announce that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've worked hard. My, she's, get, a, she's a recovered avoider. A she's connection. now that secure attachment. Well, that was see. my and sanctification. That's the, for, that's the goal for everybody is to not stay in these wounded states. It's to move out of that. And I would have to say that it, your distance from me was something that maybe we can talk about a little bit later, but it was the very thing that triggered my childhood, her distancing. So uh, that was a part of the chase. I mean, that then. was your wound. When yeah, that was, was my distance. wound. Yeah. 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 Let me ask you about that because um, it's intriguing to me. And in part, I'm always asking, are these mechanisms that God provides us for a period of time to cope with our environment? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know because we talk about them in positive and negative contexts. But for me, I, I would probably lean like UK toward the avoider because of my childhood. Right. I mean, it's total chaos. I read your book. It's it, it Yeah, very would you hard. say that would be a classic? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, one of Gene's things would be that, you know, I struggle being emotionally attached to her in certain ways. Right. And I'm mindful of that, but but the difficulty in that is I'm always saying, well, Lord, those circumstances that I was in, um, did was that a protection mechanism yes, that I, you've I given think me? All these are protective mechanisms, and they work. And my family, it was way more comfortable not to show my feelings. It was way more comfortable. The few times I did cry, I went to my room. um, I went on a walk. I always moved away from people when I was sad or when a feeling would be too much to handle and keep down. And, of course, I did that in my marriage for the first 15 years. He never saw me cry. So, yes, as a child, they're very protective. But they become so automatic, we don't even know what's animating us as an adult. And so I had to learn to develop a vocabulary for feelings. I had to learn to go back and repair the places where I just didn't develop. And one of the huge things for me as an avoider was to learn to take a feeling word list and to refer to it often so that I could start to have a more of a knowledge about what do I feel because feelings link to needs. you got to fill that in for me. Okay, if you go to our website and you go to freebies, there's a list, uh, a document there called Soul Words. And it's also in our book. It's just a list of words that are feelings that describe what's inside a person. Do you have person. some examples? Oh, my goodness. Um, sad, jealous, betrayed. Um, Humiliated, abandoned. Ashamed. Um, so are these things, I mean, literally you have a list and you'll say to Mylon, I'm feeling this and point to it? Well, or? for now, I can uh-huh. identify because, but for two years, I had that list in my journal. Hmm. I had it in my Bible. I had it in my car. I had it in my purse. And wow. I, I purposed to look at it and say, okay, if I was feeling a feeling right now, what might it be? And at first I was sort of guessing, but then I began to learn to read my body because avoiders turn off 
their body, which is part of how we know what we're feeling. Our body is usually the first signal that we're feeling something. Mm. We get angry, we get a tight, tense uh, shoulders, or, or we're sad and we, we start to feel an anxious stomach. So I huh. begin to pay attention to my body, and at about the two-year mark, I actually started to realize, hey, I, I actually know what I feel right now, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I could put words to it. So this is a very important growth goal. We ask our audiences all the time, does God have emotions from Genesis to Revelation? Do we see God you know, with his emotions? And everybody goes, yeah. And I go, oh, lots of them? Yeah. Well, what are they? Jealous, I'm envy, I have anger, I have hurt, I have sadness, I have grief, I have joy. God has all these feelings. I have love. And he, he knows how to name them. He knows why he has them. And he knows what he wants to do with them. And we're made in the image and likeness of God, aren't we? So for us to have access to our emotional selves, this is called emotional intelligence. Our God's highly emotionally intelligent. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. In light of the Supreme Court's recent decision on abortion, are you ready for what comes next? And how should we respond as emotions run high? As Christians, we need to be ready. and Focus on the Family can help you prepare. Join us every Monday to hear inspiring stories from people who faced their own pro-life moments and experienced God's love. To learn more, go to FocusOnTheFamily.com slash moment. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash moment. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to HopeRestored.com today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Okay, we've talked about that secure connector type, and that's the goal. That's where you want to get to. Right. We're going to talk more about how you do that. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned the the vacillator, the avoider. Let's talk about the pleaser. And what we're doing here for you is identifying, perhaps through the description of these, what you might be. Right. But there is that online survey you could take. And just go to uh, our website, and you'll be able to do that. We'll link to the Yurkovich's uh, survey that you can do. So talk about the pleaser. Well, you were right a moment ago. I liked how you put it. These are stress management coping mechanisms for us as children. What serves us best to survive what we're going through at the time? For me, I had an angry parent, an explosive parent. And so I found that to be quiet, to be a good boy, to try to Hmm. do nice things around the house, to stay in and maybe clean or straighten things up to really emotionally caretake the parent. What happened to me was is I would stay in for the purpose of trying to figure out, are things improving? Are they getting better? Are they getting worse? What can I do? And so why do good kids come upon the scene? They're trying to be good to manage what's happening around them to make somebody happier. So that's your point exactly, uh, Jim, when you talk about how we cope, and it serves us well. So that's what I did as a child as a result of that. Pleasers 
walk into adulthood and they don't have a strong sense of self. They're very tuned into other. But if you ask them, well, where do you want to go for lunch? They'll say, well, wherever you want to go for lunch. You know, they don't have a strong sense of opinion. Secondly, they, they have very weak boundaries. If you need somebody to do something at the last minute, ask a pleaser and they'll get it done for you, you know, even if it's midnight. Um, they don't have a strong sense of the ability to say no, that's boundaries. And then they won't get angry. Why? Because anger is a separating emotion. Huh. If I get angry at you, that means we're going to have some distance and separation. So pleasers, unlike K, who could tolerate separateness, pleasers need closeness in order to feel okay. And I'm okay if you think I'm okay. So I'm very other dependent wow. on you yeah. to make me feel okay. If you're smiling, then I can smile inside. So that's what I grew up with. So it took a lot of work for me to get to a place where I could learn to be strong and autonomous by myself without your approval or yours or, or even Kate's. Aren't well, you going to ask me, like, how it was to be married to a well, pleaser? I was just going to turn. I, I wasn't going to ask that question. <laughs> Did you notice I was just turning I this way? I was wondering. Okay, very good. So, good so conflict there. What was like it that. like to be married to a, an unrecovered pleaser who had no idea you know, he was? you were so nice, and I kept feeling like, why does it bug me so much It was nauseatingly so nice. nice, wasn't it? No, I, as I look back now, you used to ask me all the time, how are you? How are you? And, of course, I only want to answer. Fine. <laughs> but I could say now that I understand it, it never felt like it was really about me. It felt like it was more for you. Like if uh, there was one right answer, I'm great, I'm fine, you're amazing, you're the most wonderful husband I could ever have. So it was a disingenuous question. It was really not about you. It was really about me, right. wasn't it? How are you? Uh, right. Yeah. Oh, and that's it, interesting. You picked that up I did pick that up. On t yes. And it, it, yeah. so I think the other thing that was frustrating is, you know, the lack of boundaries. You know, you, you could be very overbooked trying to help everyone and, you know, be nice to everybody. And uh, sometimes uh, that took away some time that we might have had at the home. But and I've completely grown out of that, haven't I? <laughs> yeah, you have, in fact. You He's winking. Kind of the, the interesting things about these love styles is they're, they're kind of, we could also think of them as a stress response. Mm -hmm. So avoiders flee. You know, you have your fight, flight, freeze. Pleasers get freeze. very, they freeze if you're mad at them or there's conflict. They get, you know, rattled. And vastly uh, just fight. fight. Mm -hmm. So we have these stress responses that sort of go with certain reactions that are very predictable. Right. And the last one, I think it's the last one, is chaotic. Yes. Um, describe chaotic. That seems to be the worst possible state. I, I'm not sure that they're it measured is. here. No, it that is. That one looked more destructive than the others. But talk about the chaotic uh, controller victim mentality. Well, well, Jim, just a little while ago, you said my childhood was so chaotic. Right. And what was, when we stop and say, what was that like? And, and having read your book, it's a home where there's unpredictability, where a person doesn't know they're safe, where the parent is supposed to be providing security and safety. The parent is simultaneously dangerous, abusive, neglectful, harmful, or so addicted or at a such a mentally unhealthy place that they're perhaps at a level or lower than the child. Huh. So what does the child do? The child doesn't know what is predictable. There's, if you will, another synonym for chaotic is disorganized. Huh. 
So there's this disorganized attachment, not just a disorganized world, but a disorganized attachment experience. As one researcher coined it, it's called fright without solutions. The child is in a frightened state without any solution to that. And the child is left in this unsettled state. And so they often then find themselves moving into one of two modes, a highly controlling mode where they can predict their world, which has high levels of rigidity to it, because if I have a rigid, controlled world, then I'm not left unsettled anymore because I know what's going to happen around me every day. It just means that you better do what I say so that you're not doing something different that rattles me. Or they might end up more of a victim type. Yeah, the victim is just somebody who learned to tolerate the intolerable. Mm -hmm. This is the more compliant child in this home that just learns if they stay under the radar, if they hide under the bed, um, that that's their way of coping. The trouble is they, they have very little sense of self or boundaries, and it's very hard for them to stand up and, and say no to someone who's controlling or abusive themselves because they've already learned to tolerate the intolerable. It's normal. Such great insights from Mylan and Kay Yurkovich today on Focus on the Family. And uh, we're going to pause right there and bring the balance of the conversation to you tomorrow. Mylan and Kay have so much more good stuff to share on this topic of love styles. Uh, each of those, the avoider, the pleaser, the vacillator, the controller, and the victim, all resonate with us in one way or another. And by discovering your love style and how it shapes your behavior, beliefs, and expectations, you're going to be able to strengthen your marriage and make it thrive. And let me remind you that Focus on the Family is here for you. We know there are ups and downs in marriage. That's just the way life is. And when those harder times come, we can help. Yeah, we have a team of caring Christian counselors who can listen to your situation. Uh, They'll pray with you. They'll offer some resources and help you get on the right path to healing. We also have our Hope Restored program for relationships that are in real trouble. Uh, This is a four-day marriage intensive that offers hope and healing for you and your spouse. And people who have attended say it is life-changing. How about that for a testimony? Mm -hmm. In our survey work done two years after those who attend, 80% of those couples are still together and doing better. If you're in a place of brokenness in your marriage, get in touch with us. The Lord does amazing things in those intensives. And we also have Mylon and Kay's book on the love styles we talked about today. It's titled How We Love, and you can get that directly from Focus on the Family. In fact, when you make a monthly pledge to the ministry of Focus of any amount, we'll send you a copy as our way of saying thank you for partnering in ministry together. And if you can't commit a monthly amount, uh, we understand. Uh, We'll send that to you for a one-time gift as well. Donate as you can. Learn more about Hope Restored. uh, Schedule a time to talk with one of our counselors. And request your copy of the book, How We Love. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. 800-232-6459. Or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. We'll be back tomorrow with more from the Yorkoviches as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. <music> 
One in five households cares for a child with special needs. Is yours one of them? If so, we know you want your child to be taken care of no matter what happens. If you want to secure your child's future by preparing a will but need extra guidance for your unique situation, Focus on the Family can help. Download our resource, 15 Questions to Ask If You Have a Child with Special Needs. It's our gift to you at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Special Needs eBook. Well, it was hard to feel like I could capture you or that I could pull you into a place that I could feel as though there was something substantive and meaningful. I appreciate the point Kay made because a lot of times we, a person who's married to an avoider would believe that they are just holding out, but truly Kay did not have the words to be able to describe how she felt. That's Mylon Yurkovich, and he's reflecting on how he and his wife, Kay, got kind of stuck in their marriage as a result of something that they call their love style. And uh, you'll find out more about love styles and improving your marital relationship today on Focus on the Family with your host, Focus President and author Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. Hey, John, last time I learned so much, and if uh, you didn't hear the discussion we had last time with the Yurkoviches, you should go back and listen to it because it sets the kind of the basis for the further discussion we're going to have today. And we talked about those love styles that John referred to, and it really is an interesting way to look at the conflict that you're having probably in your marriage. Now, we know there are great marriages. You guys are probably doing the right thing whether you know it or not if your relationship is strong. Uh, But we talked about those things that we learn in our childhood that really anchor us down. They weigh us down. I think the Apostle Paul is talking about that. But when we're new in Christ, this is the area where the Lord wants to uh, help us grow, to become more secure in who we are, made in the image of God. And uh, it is a refreshing way to look at those things that the enemy wants to use against us. And if we can acknowledge them and learn to grow more secure in who we are, uh, we can have stronger marriages and stronger relationships. And that's what it's all about. And Mylon and Kay have uh, written and spoken extensively on this subject. And uh, they've been married themselves almost 40 years. Uh, They counsel couples. And one of the books they've written is called How We Love, Discover Your Love Style and Enhance Your Marriage. And Jim, we should mention there's a love style assessment, and uh, our listeners can find a link for that on our website. Well, let me welcome you both back. Oh, thank you. Thank it's you. good to be here. It was so interesting last time to, to talk about these styles, and for those who did not hear them, uh, can I ask you to quickly recap those? There's five. Kay, why don't you hit them? All right. The avoider is the emotionally distant and detached person. The pleaser is the the nice good spouse who always wants harmony and doesn't want to really do anything that's too difficult emotionally. They don't like conflict. The vacillator is the protester. They have very ideal um, standards, and when they're disappointed, they're upset, they protest, and they want to always get right back up to ideal so they can be moody. It's all good or it's all bad. There's not a lot of middle ground. And then we ended uh, talking about the controller and the victim, And these folks come from really difficult homes where there's abuse, there's neglect, and the kind of feisty kids become controllers, and the more compliant kids in these homes can become victims. And 
uh, they have a hard time asserting themselves as adults. And all these things that we learn in childhood, we then take into marriages, <laughs> which is the problem. That's exactly right. And often I, I was the avoider for 15 years and didn't even understand that that was what was animating me because I, I never really looked back to my childhood to say, was there an emotional connection in my family or not? And in in all of that, we talked last time about uh, seeing God and his hand in all of this. And uh, again, if you didn't hear that, you really need to download it or get the CD. Uh, The one, the goal is the secure attached person. Talk about that quickly. Well, the goal is to, when we identify our broken style, is to move in a process of sanctification towards a secure connector who really is Christ. But the secure connector, we want a great model of it. We look at Jesus. Um, He wasn't emotionally avoidant. Um, He connected to people from heart to heart. He talked about his own feelings in the garden. He asked for people to be with him. He didn't suffer alone. And um, Jesus also wasn't the pleaser. He could stand up to the Pharisees and say, no. Uh, Jesus wasn't the—he could protest appropriately— but he, he wasn't critical and always pointing the finger somewhere else as though someone else is the problem. And then as the controller, the victim, um, Jesus was only the victim one day, and that was on the cross, and it was because he chose to be. Mm. So when you look at Jesus, he's really doesn't, none of these styles exemplify who we want to become like. And so we're, we're growing towards the secure connector. Who yeah. is like Christ. Um, we left off last time, and I mentioned that vacillator, and that in your book, How We Love, you mentioned the vacillator is most prone to that affair. That really was interesting to me. The vacillator, as you just described, is that person that's hot or cold, mm-hmm. highly emotional one way or the other. Why are they more prone, Mylon, to an affair? Well, what happens is, is the vacillator starts off looking at all relationships in a highly idealistic mode. If they fall in love with someone, and again, this isn't about gender, this is male or female. If they fall in love with somebody, they are the most amazing thing on the planet. No, there's nothing wrong with them. There's no red flags. And so they're all in. And they're really intoxicated with this falling in love state. And really not knowing this, the vacillator, male or female, is in love with being in love. They love the euphoria of being in love. And... What happens is, is that these euphoric states don't last forever. And then if you all of a sudden start doing things that disappoint me and fall short of my ideals, then I can think I got duped. I can think that you fooled me. I can think that you beguiled me, that you, you just hooked me in only to find out there's really a bait and switch here. When that happens, the vacillator devalues their spouse to typically an all-bad place and John Gottman, who's done a ton of research in the area of, of marriage, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse that they refer to is the horseman of contempt. And this contemptuousness and this disdain begins to kick in. So if you've made your spouse all bad, then basically it leaves you very susceptible to finding a new ideal person. 
What are those phrases that the vacillator will use in that state? Give me that example. Well, they'll say that, you know, you're all bad. You were not the person I was, you know, you're, you're not the soulmate I thought you were. Uh, you have disappointed me chronically. What I thought you were is not what you are. The idealized version of how I had imagined you in reality is now lo- no longer what I see you to be. So now what they do is they do a good, bad split, and now you're all bad. In that state, they're sitting in church and they're watching a person lead worship, and they think, wow, that person would be great. That person looks ideal. And uh, Or the preacher, he is so amazing, or she is such a great teacher. And all of a sudden, they start to fall in love with an ideal again. Mm. And so they just start the process all over again. And, and so they're very prone to affairs because of the idealism and the level of contempt and disdain to which they take their spouses. They struggle to have this middle ground of good and bad, both in themselves and others. So let's talk about those combos um, when they marry. Uh, last time you self-disclosed that you were a voider pleaser in your marriage combo. Recovering. <laughs> Recovering, right. Yes. Okay. Um, I think Gene and I probably fit in that category as okay. well, although I think you know, we have our secure moments. And we that's do, yeah. one of the qualifiers, though, because you can tend to operate, at least where I'm sitting, and maybe that's one of my issues, <laughs> is you can tend to see yourself operate with any one of these attributes at any given time. And that might might be my chaotic past. I don't know. I, I think, yeah, people from really difficult backgrounds got good at trying everything. <laughs> right. and, and it really makes sense. Now, that's right. not a bad thing. It it actually shows me that's a child with a lot of a, a smart child who's really trying everything they can to survive in a very difficult environment. But I think in a marriage relationship, generally you have one thing that dominates that causes this core pattern. So let's talk about a few of those that you've seen in your counseling. Uh, just begin to express them, and John and I will jump in with questions. Okay. Well, let's talk about what is a core pattern. Okay, go ahead. A core pattern is two histories colliding. Mm-hmm. So my history caused me to be an avoider. Your history caused you to be a pleaser. And when those collide in marriage, you get a very predictable core pattern. And for us, that pattern was, you're always chasing me around and asking me, how am I? Am I mad? Am I fine? And my answer was <laughs> constantly, fine, I'm good. I, why do you keep asking me that? I just said it five minutes ago. I'm good. And then, But, but why did I chase? You see, Kay was an, is, is an introvert and was an avoider. Okay, so avoider, introvert would be two things that would pull a person away. In that state, she was quiet. In my home growing up, quiet meant there was a storm coming. Or quiet meant that it was the five days after the storm where nobody talked. So if Kay was quiet or distant, it began to trigger me. That's why mm-hmm. I chased you around to ask you, how are you? Are you mad at me? Is everything okay? Are you sure you're okay? And that was this nauseating chase scene of the pursuer distancer. And it was born out of fear and getting triggered until I could turn to Kay and say, your silence triggers me and terrifies me. And she looked at me and she said, what? Yeah. My introvertism or my need to be quiet? Yeah. It terrifies you. Yeah. I could, I could feel that. And, and I could, I, I feel even teary right now saying that because it, it was so terrifying to have silence. Her silence really caused me to feel this terror and dread. Which catapults you into asking that question more and more, which frustrates you more and more. You probably felt suffocated by the constant question, right? There we have the core pattern. Mm. And then you're in that cycle 
yeah, of destruction, really. 15 years of it, and we he was a pastor. We did Bible studies. We prayed. We worked on these superficial symptoms. I tried to be more affectionate. He tried to ask me less often. But until we understood the root was attachment, and we started working at the root, uh, and I took ownership of that avoider part of me, and he took ownership of the pleaser, and we begin to individually work on our sanctification in that way. But iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So we talked to each other about our fears, how we scared each other. We entered into very real dialogues with using that feelings mm-hmm. word list we talked about in the last broadcast, a soul word list to say, what am I feeling? And I could use words like terrified and scared and, and anxious and overwhelmed and all these different feelings that I feel when you, when you turn your back and walk in the other direction. Mm. And then one day I saw, I said, God, I need to understand K better. And I tell the story in the book, but I asked God to help me see K differently and then that day, God, it was one of the most miraculous answers to prayer I ever had. I saw the little girl, seven-year-old little mm. girl sitting on the end of her bed, all by herself, nobody to talk to, highly sensitive, nobody ever asking her how she was. And I realized she learned to be alone. She learned not to engage. And that's who was inside the adult K. Yeah. She was still inside. Help me love her, Lord, there. Yeah. Mm. And you know, again, those that had painful childhoods that understand this, our heart feels what you're saying. Mm. Others that may have had different experiences, um, they're more skeptical. You can really, come on, those childhood experiences, really? Is it that simple? But you're saying, yes, it is, actually. Well, we say you should have a PhD in your spouse's childhood. Interesting. And I'll tell you why. You are the sum total of your history. And for the first 15 years of our marriage, I have to say, we never had any discussions about our childhood or how it related to our current relationship. And that was the key that unlocked compassion. Because when I heard those memories and I understood how really frightened he was, instead of being annoyed by his pursuing, I began to feel compassion. Well, oh, no wonder you do that. So I think understanding your spouse's history is the key to having compassion because usually the thing that they do that just bugs you the most has a childhood wound sitting under it. Yeah. There is that challenge, I think, in a lot of relationships that you think you know each other um, and you tolerate that level of knowing each other. But to have true intimacy, and that's what you're talking about, godlike intimacy. You know, the scripture says he knows everything about our heart. Right. He knows our thoughts. Right. And all of that. Right. So what you're really going for is a deeper level of intimacy in the marriage. So you are vulnerable toward each other, trusting of each other, and therefore you end up, I think, more in love with each other. Oh, that's absolutely true. One of the biggest mistakes the church makes is believing that in Second Corinthians, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Well, God doesn't erase your seed drive. He doesn't erase your history. He doesn't clear out all those boxcars. We bring our entire history. We bring our educations. We bring our experience. You know, we bring our regional accents with us wherever we go. That isn't gone. Our position in Christ is new. And positionally, he has erased and eradicated our sin. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. 
I was convinced that nothing could change what was going on in our marriage, and I didn't want to try anymore. But my commitment to God helped me try one more time. We went to a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, and it was life-changing. The counselors created the safest environment we could imagine, so that let us really talk. We're on a much different course now, and I believe we received a miracle that week. Receive your free consultation at HopeRestored.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Just a few days ago, my wife said, oh, you're going to go silent on me, are you? Ah, there you go. And I just thought, yeah, I I am going silent on you. So what does that mean? (laughs) Well, my guess is you learned to go silent way before you met your wife. (laughs) Possibly, yeah. And so, you know, when you think about, well, where did I first learn to go silent? And Mm. why was I learning to go silent? You know, and you go back in history because generally we tell couples all the time, look, your marriage problems didn't start in your marriage. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, They started way before you even knew your spouse or met your spouse. You developed these relational styles before you married. Yeah, I think in that moment I had made a quick assessment and determined that it's a no-win situation, so just be quiet. Take your ball and go home. Yeah, and and somewhere you're saying somewhere in my past that imprint was kind of made, and I've carried that into the relationship. Obviously, we don't live there, but that was a moment where we were living there. Absolutely, and we all have our ways of coping, and that's just one way of coping that works as a child, it just doesn't work as an adult. Huh. Give us some other combinations that you've seen where there's trouble. The number one couple to come into a couple's counseling session is the vacillator avoider. And the vacillator avoider is the number one couple because one's a proximity seeker and the other one is a distancer. Uh, the avoider, like John, I flee, I go, I shut down. The, the vacillator wants to pursue. Do you want to role play that really quick? Do it. Oh, sure. Hey, I'm home. Hi. Hi. I can't wait to show you something. You know what? Um, I'm looking for the mail. I've um, been waiting all day. <laughs> honey, come well, here. I want to show well, you something. Wait, wait a minute. It, it is, it's from the mortgage company. It has mortgage uh, on the top. I know. I know. You always look at the I, mail. I know, That's but this is really time day. sensitive. I have, to, I have to send this in today. I, I've been waiting all day. S- you know what? Sometimes you throw the mail away. Are you kidding me right <laughs> and, now? Okay, this is way this, too close. This, this some people okay, leave. wait a minute. You, you know what? I know. It's, I know. We have to sign it, and we have to fax it tonight. So I know you're excited about something. Now, it's, did, let me look in the trash You here. know what? I get it. I'll become a piece of mail. Then you'll notice me. Oh, okay. I'm a piece of mail. Now do you see me? Look, I okay, just Okay, you know what? I don't fight. want to show you anything. Never mind. I'm done. Forget it. Look, I just need this, this mail. I know she threw it away. Huh. I wonder if she's going to have sex tonight. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need a letter in the mail to answer that question. That is powerful. I mean, everybody's identifying with a portion of that, I'm sure. Okay, well, I'm the vacillator. I've been ruminating all day about homecoming and how's that going to look and what I'm going to show him and how excited I am. and How excited he'll be. And how excited he'll be. (laughs) I'll match her excitement. Yeah. And I didn't. And she's deeply disappointed. So now it's like, forget it. I'm done. I'm not going to show you. I don't know why vacillators love those two words. I'm done. They but, they but say it all the time. Op- those opposite qualities were attractive Absolutely. in the first place. Why? Well, vacillators marry avoiders because they're consistent. And they're predictable. And vacillators want predictable connection. When we're dating, we're both involved in this intoxicated state called in love. 
and we have these chemicals going in our brain. And so there is, every time we see each other, there's this delight and our brains light up with delight. Reality sets in and there's refinance papers to sign and there's stuff to do and there's life to manage. And what happens is I avert my gaze from the vacillator and the averted gaze causes them to get triggered. It's that's as though, their childhood. That's thing. their childhood trigger, the averted gaze. I turn for audiences when we speak all over the United States and in the world. At a moment within that presentation, Kay and I will turn our backs on the whole audience and say, what, are, what do you feel right now? We'll turn our back on the audience. Uh, and we get words like betrayed, duped, uh, unseen, abandoned, unseen, invisible. invisible disrespected. All the vacillators answer the question. It's <clears throat> really interesting. These, and we say, well, you just personalized our behavior, didn't you? I was just looking at the drum set really behind me on the stage. But you personalized it. You felt as though I was personally rejecting you. And in that personal rejection state, there's this high level of volatility and reactivity that causes this this huh. vibration to occur that then sets this friction into motion. Again, what a great way to have discussion. I mean, in your marriage, these are the tools that people need to observe their behavior, know their own heart better. Mm -hmm. I love that quote that uh, one of the things for us as Christians um, is to know our heart as best as possible Yes. so that we can be true and I think objective in knowing ourselves and knowing where our our strengths are and where our weaknesses are. And this is one way to do it. Uh, How we love, you talk about also that devastating combination of controller uh, who marries victim. Mm-hmm. Talk about that combination. Well, Kay, I, maybe you could say a few words about this as well, but they're a natural couple to come together because they both came from that chaotic background mm-hmm. and they're used to the dynamics of disorganization, of control, anger, addiction, etc. Why don't you comment on that? Well, the controller looks attractive because generally in early dating, they make all the decisions. They, um, you know, they decide where you're going to go. It looks like you're really being taken care of. And of course, that's very attractive to the victim who doesn't have any really voice or doesn't have much of a sense of self of where they want to go. And yet, you know, early into a relationship, these poor folks just didn't have anything to really build on from their childhoods. Instead of getting a lot of good examples, they got a lot of negative examples. So, you know, we say your marriage is probably going to be as easy or as difficult as your childhood, which sort of makes sense. So these folks come together, and they're many times lacking just the basic stress regulation skills that you need. What does that conflict look like in their marriage? If anyone in the family doesn't comply, the controller will be angry and intimidating to regain control. And generally, there's then this explosion at some point where everybody in the family is afraid and and scared. And then the cycle of abuse, there's this little window where the controller may come back and apologize and say, I'm sorry, that's never going to happen again. And the victim always takes them back. And the whole cycle repeats over and over and over again. So So that cycle of abuse, Kay, can involve yelling and screaming and rage. The abuse can involve physical altercations, hitting, excessive disciplinary tactics. There is a sad story just a couple of years ago uh, where uh, a highly rigid controlling father was 
angry at his adopted daughter for not complying. She was having a hard time fitting in, and he made her sleep outside. There was a cold snap. She froze to death. She died, and this guy just, you know, had to discipline her, but it was unreasonable. You right. see, this unreasonableness, which there isn't any way to regulate reason or the reactivity levels, that's exceptionally high in this home, the chaotic, disorganized home. There's no filters, and there's no way to regulate or modulate the ways in which we control our lives and it's lives It's a of result of trauma. It's a result of trauma. I have no regulation filters. Right. I can't when, control when you my think reactivity. Of, when you think of that, the, the sins of the father being mm. visited upon the next generation, I mean, it's kind of a, an insight into what the Lord is saying there, it isn't is it? It is an insight. These are and the behavior patterns that cause children to react. And, that's exactly right. And they right. grow up and have their issues. And the sad part is the the healing is difficult because this group has more unresolved trauma than any other group. And when we have a lot of unresolved trauma, we're not going to do well regulating our own stress or setting boundaries. We just go to extremes of rage or extremes of dissociation and not being fully present. And the healing is really going back and remembering what it was like to be a child and finding people in your life who can comfort you and give you what you never got as a kid. Mm. Someone who cares. I really appreciate learning the concepts uh, about these love styles that Mylan and Kay Yurkovich have been sharing. Uh, this is Focus on the Family, and what a great program today. It is. It's solid material. And when you start to think about and grasp your love style, you can really get in tune with your behavior in your relationship and make your marriage stronger, which is a good thing. Uh, this is why Focus on the Family exists. We want to help you have the best marriage possible for the sake of Christ. Let's mm -hmm. say it that way. Right. And of course, uh, challenges arise. That's being human and living in a sinful world. But we can help you. We have caring Christian counselors on staff that will listen to you, pray with you, and offer insights on how you can move forward. And beyond that, for those who are really struggling, we have our Hope Restored Marriage Intensives. Uh, those are really unparalleled. Uh, I might add that Dina and I had an opportunity to attend one of those intensive sessions, and it really helped. It changed our relationship, I think, for the rest of our lives for the better. Well, we hear that uh, time and again, John, about couples who have gone through those intensives. I love hearing about the marriages that have been saved through Hope Restored. God is doing some amazing things in that program. So if you need help in your marriage, don't shrink back. Get in touch with us. Today may be the day that everything changes for you. And we also have Mylon and Kay's great book, How We Love. You can order that directly from Focus on the Family. And the proceeds all go back into ministry. We don't pay shareholder dividends. When you sign up for a monthly pledge of any amount today, we'll send you a copy of that book as our way of saying thank you for your support. And if that monthly commitment is too much, uh, we get that. We'll send it to you for a one-time gift. No amount is too small when it comes to saving marriages and helping families thrive. And you can learn more about Hope Restored, uh, getting a copy of that book, How We Love, and so much more when you get in touch with us here. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.